Welcome back to a brand new episode. I know it's been a few months since my last podcast. I have missed you guys. But in today's episode, we have a lot of things to get into, so I'm going to get right into it. So the first thing that I want to talk about is student loan forgiveness. I mean, it's all over the internet. And in all honesty, whenever things start circulating all over the internet, my first question is, okay, what are they trying to distract us from? When things start circulating the web, it doesn't mean that they're not important. This is a very important topic to talk about, which is why I want to talk about today and break things down because the core of student loans is very simple. It took me a long time to figure it out and, and to learn economics and about our economy. Um, I'm not a financial advisor, but I've done a lot of reading. My husband is very well-versed in finance, so I've learned a lot through him and through reading and everything that I talk about here is what I've learned from my research and my own opinions. So take it for what you will. Always do your own research. There are many levels to this, but the system banks on the fact that most people don't know how it works and don't know what they're getting into. So I kind of want to break down some of that today in the simplest terms possible. So hopefully you leave with a better understanding of why student loans will never all be forgiven and what it's going to do to our economy. So let's start with the basics. When it comes to student loans, they are backed by the government. Who ensures that these loans are non-dischargeable in bankruptcy? That is also the government. If the government truly cared about cutting tuition prices, all they have to do is stop backing these loans and colleges would be forced to slash their overpriced tuitions. However, they don't and they won't because they work together. These loans are used as a means to control inflation. It's a way to get millions of people to start off their lives in debt. They know that most people are going to be paying these loans and paying interest on these loans for years, if not decades, if not the rest of their life, and most people will not be able to pay off these loans. I am sympathetic to the fact that many people get tricked in a way to taking these loans and not fully understanding the consequence the interest, the term, and what they're getting themselves into. I was one of them. I went to college. I got my degree in political science. I concentrated in foreign policy, and I also got my degree in business administration. In all transparency, if I knew what I know now, I would not have gone to college. For me personally, I've never used my degree. I was going to go to law school, and so I had to have a degree in something, but I ended up pursuing my own business and social media and the cosmetics industry. And quite frankly, I've been more successful working for myself and having my own business than I ever would have if I would have pursued my degree. Now, these tuitions at all colleges are so overpriced, they know that the job most people are going to get when they graduate is not going to pay off those loans and definitely not in a timely manner. Because when most people graduate, they want to start families, they want to get a car, they want to get a house, you know, all these things, which again, is more accrued debt. One thing you need to understand about student loans is they are an asset on the government's balance sheet because they back them. So currently we have over $1.7 trillion. I put up a clip from Investopedia on their student loan securitization. So they have here that the U.S. has about $1.73 trillion in outstanding student loan debt from 45 million borrowers. Student loan asset-backed securities, or SLABs, are exactly what they sound like, securities based on outstanding student loans. These loans are packaged into securities that investors can buy, which delivered scheduled coupon payments much like an ordinary bond. That's straight from Investopedia. Your debt and your liability is their asset. 
the government can then show on their balance sheet, look, we've got 40 plus million people that are paying interest every month that owe us money on these student loans. They can use that as an asset. Why do you really think they've been pushing back interest and student loan payments the last couple of years? Do you think it's because they just really care about us? Is that what people really think? They just care about you so much and they want to help you. Or have you ever stopped to ask yourself, what happens when these assets are no longer an asset? When people cannot make their payments, especially what's happened since 2020, right? That's when the interest was paused and student loan payments were paused in 2020. So seeing what our nation's been through, what our economy is going through right now, the inflation we're undergoing, people can't afford things. They can't afford gas, putting food on the table. Credit card debt and debt in general keeps going up, 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 up. What's going to happen when people don't pay their student loans? Most people's priority is going to be putting food on the table and keeping a roof over their head. I would imagine most people are going to put student loans on the back burner because surviving is more important, right? The government can't afford payment defaults from the borrowers because that will look bad on them. That will affect them. So in my opinion, if they pause the payments and the interest, they're not even giving people a chance to not pay the loans, but for how long? I believe that was supposed to be unpaused in like a week or so, but I saw an announcement saying that I think they're pushing it back another four months again. Now, what's going to happen when that four months runs out? Are they going to push it back again? It's like kicking the can down the road. They keep kicking it further and further, trying to avoid the inevitable. Thinking that student loans are just going to be wiped out is like thinking that mortgage loans are going to be wiped out. If they really wanted to help people, don't you think they would take care of mortgages first, people who are being evicted from their homes, who can't afford their rent? No, because one thing is that's not the agenda here. The agenda has always been control, debt, and slavery, period. They want to control your time. They want to control knowing that you're going to go to work every day and keep working for that money, keep in that in that hamster wheel, keep going, keep going, keep going, because you owe them. You owe them a debt, whether it's credit card, mortgage, student loans. You owe them a debt, right? You, you owe the banks. You owe the government. You owe someone a debt. However, like always, people are caught up in the emotional response. They think, oh, well, this is really going to help people. Why would you not want to help people when this is not going to help anyone? Even the people who could potentially have some of their loans in quotes forgiven when there's no such thing as loans being erased, wiped, or forgiven, someone has to foot the bill. Someone has to pay it. These things don't just disappear into thin air, but people don't understand that because they don't understand the way our economy works. They don't understand the way loans or student loans work. So let me give you an example. This person on Twitter, I don't know who they are, but they have a check mark. I swear it's always check marks saying the worst things on Twitter, okay? The tweet says, FYI, student debt cancellation isn't paid for by the taxpayers. The federal government is the lender. I really didn't know people could be this dumb. And maybe she's not. Maybe she's just preying on the fact that her followers don't know any better. So she's trying to drive the narrative. Who pays the federal government? We do. Our tax dollars do. The federal government works for us. So if the federal government is paying it, we are paying it. They're taking it from our tax dollars. I think the most recent announcement was Biden is going to try to forgive $10,000 or $20,000, something like that, depending on what people make a year. And then Pelosi even said last year, which I don't agree with anything she says, but this is probably the first and last time. She said Joe Biden does not have the authority or the power 
to do that, to forgive student loan debt, which she is right. No politician has the power to clear student loan debt, and they won't because it's a huge asset. They would go belly up, and they're not going to do that. It would completely tank and crash the economy. So let's say they spend a couple hundred million dollars wiping some student loans for people. How are they going to make up for that lost money? We are getting very close to hitting our debt ceiling again. And if you don't know what the debt ceiling means, I'll explain it to you this way. If you have a house filled with sewage, what do you do? Do you drain the sewage out of the house or do you build a taller roof? What our government has been doing every time they raise the debt ceiling is they raise the roof higher, they build the walls higher to fill the house up with more sewage. That's what they're probably going to do again because they keep raising the debt ceiling. We keep sending hundreds of millions and billions of dollars to Ukraine to fight a war that is not our war to get involved in things, and we are paying for it. This also affects inflation. They also just passed the Inflation Reduction Act, which will not reduce inflation. They are printing more money to counteract inflation. That will not do anything. Not to mention, if you haven't read the bill, go read it. It's filled with millions of dollars going to climate change, which has nothing to do with inflation. There's this reoccurring theme where they create problems, and then to fix the problems they create, they just need more money. Then when they run out, they might digitally print, which brings inflation. Then the inflation goes to us to where we pay more for gas. We pay more for food. We pay more for services and electricity. Inflation is a means of taxation. So you have people with this emotional response of, oh, I'm just so happy it's going to help people get out of debt. How does anyone think it's fair for someone working overtime, two jobs, three jobs, even working one job, struggling to you know, provide for their family, now have to pay more taxes, inflated prices for food, for gas, for services, more taxes, you know, if they're trying to raise taxes, I think, on people that make over 30 grand, so most people... How do you think that's fair for people to pay more taxes because you decided to get a degree in gender studies at a liberal arts college? It's not. You know, it's like this entitlement generation of I'm going to drink my $6 Starbucks, maybe $7 with inflation now. I don't know. I don't drink Starbucks. But drinking their $7 coffee, tweeting about how oppressed they are and how our country is just so terrible. Then at the same time, praising the government for wanting to take care of some of their debt and put that debt on someone else to pay. How is that fair for elderly people to now lose more money from their already low social security checks every month to pay for your degree that they have nothing to do with? You're the one that decided to go to college and decided to get the loans. It's only your responsibility to pay for the debt that you incurred. If you don't want to have debt and you can't afford to go to college, then don't go. It's very simple. Why aren't we teaching people how to have their own business, how to run their own business, how to actually thrive in this country, and how to be free from working for corporate America and working for companies that we don't like, how to actually pursue your talents? Because the system will never teach you how to overthrow the system. Most billionaires never went to college. Most of them didn't even finish high school. But you don't see that glamorized. And then it's funny because those same billionaires then go to colleges to try to inspire people when they never went to college. To me, it's almost like, in a way, they're mocking. Like, wow, these, you know, these kids are going into debt and I didn't even have to do any of that. And I'm more successful than perhaps most of them ever will be. And it's a sad truth. Our education system 
has failed us in many, many ways. And I remember, I think it was my junior year of college, I remember a professor telling us that college was just a way for the government to get people out of the work system for four years and to accrue debt and to then come out with debt. And at the time I thought, hmm, well, too late now. Like I, I kind of shrugged it off. I was like, okay, whatever. Like makes sense, but I'm already here. What do you want me to do about it? You know? And looking back, it, it's just so true. Most of the people I went to college with spent the weeks drinking, partying, running up credit cards, you know, barely making it through their exams and, and everything just to end up all taking jobs that they don't even like, that don't even pay enough for them to be able to pay off their student debt. And it's very sad. It's very dark and it's very sad. Of course, the headlines in the media are how this student loan plan is going to help so many people. It's omitting so much truth. Who's going to pay for these loans? Even if they do a couple hundred million in forgiveness, we are all going to have to pay for it, including the people that have loans forgiven. Most people have no idea about our monetary system, our economic system, our tax system. They don't know about the system they currently work for, work in, and participate in. And it takes a lot of research. Like, even for me running my own business, I had to learn everything on my own through experience, through, you know, making mistakes, through reading, through, you know, searching and seeking for that information, through trying to hire professionals in those fields. It's a process. And it's so sad they don't teach people about this in the front end. You know, college is held to this esteemed regard of, well, I have a degree and I have a blue check mark on Twitter and I am an expert, so you have to take me seriously. When many colleges have just turned into pushing liberal ideology, and we've seen it happen all across the nation the last couple of years when students are saying no and they're getting, you know, sick of it. In my college experience, it was so much about sorority, fraternity, clubs, What's your status? What are you involved in? It was so much about the extra curricular and not really about the education, not really about preparing you for the world, you know? And it makes me think of the fact that like the four years in college, I had to work multiple jobs. I had one job I would work on Fridays. I would drive to to be like a front desk. And then I had another job. I would work through the week in retail whenever I could get the time just to pay for my bills and also to try to set money aside for my student loans, you know, to try to save something that I could start paying for so I didn't have as much interest. Like I'm the one that had to take the double shifts. I'm the one that had to get multiple jobs. So are people that paid off their student loans going to get a refund? Of course not. How is it fair that people who don't care to pay off their loans or spent money on other things, didn't budget, that their loans can get forgiven, right? And that other people should have to pay for that. People who either paid off their loans or people who never went to college and never got loans, you know, people who ended up starting their own business and investing in themselves instead of going to school. It, it's not fair. And I do understand that people think it will help them in the short term, especially if they're struggling and they really can't afford to pay off their loans. I'm very sympathetic to that. And I understand that. But it's going to hurt even them in the long run. It will hurt the economy. It's a means to control inflation, to make more inflation. And people don't understand that because they go, they don't read past the headlines. They don't really go and do their own research and read. So when I see people commenting, oh, people are just so crazy to not want to help people. And then you have people saying, oh, well, you know, I would work an extra shift to help someone pay off their loans. People are 
such hypocrites and they put on this face on social media as if they're this great person who will do anything they can to help other people, but then they'll walk by a homeless vet on the street and not even give them a dollar or help them find a job. It's just hypocrisy. I saw it all the time when I lived in California. Everyone would always talk about how they're doing so many great things, go on their stories, but you literally see homeless people they are like stepping over on their way to work. It's the virtue signaling. It's the pretending like you care about every cause that the government or media says to care about. As with everything, it's just pitted people against each other, right? Everyone on social media is, do you want to pay it off or do you not? Should we or should we not? It's people fighting against each other, the ones who say we should pay it off and the ones who say that we shouldn't. Instead of people looking at the actual root problem, which is the people who are backing the loans, the people who created the loans, you know? How can people not see that the government backs the loans and then now they're saying they'll forgive you of the loans? When they can't forgive you of the loans, someone else is going to pay it. It's very simple. It's the same people who call for equity and fairness that are now wanting the middle class and people who did not take out student loans to foot the bill for those who did. It's just complete hypocrisy. The only people who are going to be supporting this student loan forgiveness is people who, one, will benefit from it personally, or two, are trying to pretend like they're a good person and they, they truly think that it's going to help people when it's going to hurt everyone more than it could ever help. And no matter what any politician says, they're never going to forgive all of them. It's just not in their control. All these people that want student loan forgiveness that would benefit from it, they act like they did the world some great favor by going to college for years and partying for social experience to get drunk, to join some clubs. They act like they did everyone just a huge favor when in reality they did it for themselves. They wanted to be cool. They wanted to join this fraternity or this sorority or be involved in this club or say I went to college and go to sports games and now you want everyone to pay for that experience that you had. It's just insane. I found this tweet very interesting from Charlie Kirk. It says, Harvard is sitting on top of a $54 billion hedge fund they call an endowment that they pay zero taxes on. Yale has $31 billion, Stanford $29 billion, Princeton $26 billion. Elite schools sit on a gold mine, but the middle class will foot the bill for student loan forgiveness. We've officially entered a society where no one is responsible for what they do. They're not responsible for their actions and everyone else should pay for their own actions. I wonder if these same people would be okay with mortgages identifying as student loans. Just saying. All right, let's talk about this recent lawsuit filed. Apparently these documents reveal hundreds of exchanges between CDC's chief of digital media and Twitter's censorship department to censor in quotes, unapproved opinions on the platform. This lawsuit was filed in the U.S. District Court for the Western District of Louisiana Monroe Division. I will link it in the description bar. The plaintiffs of the lawsuit are the state of Missouri Attorney General, state of Louisiana Attorney General, three doctors, and two other people. On the defendants are Joe Biden, the White House Press Secretary, the Surgeon General of the United States, Secretary of the Department of Health and Human Services, Department of Health and Human Services, Dr. Fauci, National Institute of Allergy and Infectious Diseases, CDC, Chief of the Digital Media Branch of the Division of Public Affairs within the CDC, U.S. Census Bureau, Senior Advisor for Communications with the U.S. Census Bureau, and all of these people's names are here as well in the lawsuit. I just don't want to read them out. Department of Commerce, 
Secretary of the Department of Homeland Security, Undersecretary of the Office of Strategy, Policy, and Plans within DHS, Senior Counselor for National Security in the Office of the Secretary for DHS, Department of Homeland Security, Director of Cybersecurity and Infrastructure Security Agency, Cybersecurity and Infrastructure Security Agency, White House National Climate Advisor, and this girl Nina as her capacity as the director of the so-called Disinformation Governance Board within the Department of Homeland Security. So this complaint is 118 pages. In the general allegations section, starting at page 12, it says freedom of speech is the bedrock of American liberty. It says government officials lack authority to censor disfavored speakers and viewpoints, which I've seen a lot on Twitter. Whenever people defend free speech, you see all the bots, which I'm hoping they're going to release in public documents how many bots are on Twitter. I followed some of the whole debacle with Elon Musk trying to buy Twitter and then not going to buy Twitter and then trying to get the official number of bots because I believe he claimed they had such a large percentage of bots, which would not surprise me. Whenever you give a disfavored viewpoint, it's just like clockwork. You see all of these bots below saying the same kinds of responses. I saw a post yesterday, a tweet defending freedom of speech, and there were hundreds of bots with really like sketchy accounts. You can just tell it's not a real person, in my opinion. And they had all of the same exact wording. Some of them was word for word and some with different variations where it would say like, Freedom of speech is not limited to freedom from consequence. This is a private company. Like it was the same regurgitated trying to push the narrative when one, Twitter isn't a private company. It's a publicly traded company. And two, look at how much has come to the surface the last couple of years of insinuating and implying that social media platforms like Twitter work very closely with the government, potentially could be a part of that. You see it all the time through places like Project Veritas, things that have surfaced, how they work with the government or work to sway narratives. You know, online social media is the new public square. They can very much influence major things in countries, as we've seen. They can influence things from elections, public opinion, public policy. They have a massive amount of power, which comes with great responsibility. And they should not be able to change public opinion or sway a narrative just because it's in their best interest. Discourse is vital and so important in the health of our country, of our nation, of the world. People should be able to freely talk and freely discuss their viewpoints because how can we learn or grow if we're only seeing one thing all the time? That's not individuality. That's socialism. It's communism. It's groupthink. It's everyone must think the same or we will delete you. It goes against the fabric of everything this country is supposed to stand for. The only people that ever want to censor, ban, and delete others are the ones that are afraid of their opinion. And if you're afraid of someone else's opinion because it'll shatter yours, then you have to deal with that internally. Like I'll see people saying, oh, thank goodness this person got, got banned. You know, they were harming people. To think that people can't make decisions for themselves and opinions for themselves and that other people's words will cause harm is just very immature. If someone says, hey, I believe in freedom of speech and you want them to be deleted because that makes you feel bad, you have issues and you need to deal with that yourself, it's not other people's problems. The internet is very easy. If you don't like what someone says, if you don't like their opinions, just block or don't follow them. Don't absorb their content. You have to be an adult. If you're not mentally able to handle that, then you shouldn't be on social media at all.
There are always going to be people you disagree with. There are lots of people that I don't agree with what they say, but I would never want them to be censored or deleted or deplatformed because their opinion is different than mine. But it's never a coincidence that the same people who want others to be deplatformed for their opinions are the same people who think the government cares about them and loves them and really has their best interests at heart. Like they simp so hard for them and they really think that they're on the same side and they'll do everything to protect them. They think that bad actors and evil people only exist in the movies they watch all day and the Netflix shows that they watch all day and they feel comfy in their programming and anyone that shatters their paradigm is a threat to them. In this complaint, it says labeling disfavored speech as misinformation or disinformation does not strip it of First Amendment protection. So they're talking about the First Amendment. On page 15 of the complaint, it says Americans have a First Amendment right to be exposed to a free flow of speech, viewpoints, and content free from censorship by government officials. Kind of like what I just said, we need discourse and other viewpoints. It says on page 16, government officials may not circumvent the First Amendment by inducing, threatening, and or colluding with private entities to suppress protected speech. That is a very serious allegation, not something that I'm surprised at, but the thought of the government working with or inducing or threatening, you know, social media companies, you must censor this or hide this or ban this or deplatform this opinion or, or this fact is very, very serious. I'm going to read some more from this complaint. Number 65, page 17. The unprecedented control over private speech exercised by social media companies gives government officials an unprecedented opportunity to circumvent the First Amendment and achieve indirect censorship of private speech. The potential for abuse of this private power over a central avenue of communication cannot be overlooked. The dominance of social media as a forum for public information and discourse. Social media has become in many ways the modern public square. This is what I just said. It's where everyone gets their information. We're living in a digital age. Today's digital platforms provide avenues for historically unprecedented amounts of speech, including speech by government actors. Also unprecedented, however, is the concentrated control of so much speech in the hands of a few private parties. Have you ever thought about the fact that companies such as Facebook and let's say all of the big tech companies, do you know how much data and information they have about you and about everyone? Like when has a ruler ever ruled, like a king, ever ruled over billions of people in his empire? I'm not talking about God because God controls everything. I'm talking about a human, right? And then you think of these social media platforms having data, information, private information, and so much on billions of people with the ability to censor at will, to change terms at will, to deplatform at will with little to no consequence. It says here in the lawsuit, page 18, Facebook has close to 3 billion registered users worldwide and over 124 million users in the United States, including millions of Missourians and millions of citizens of other states. Like I was just saying, let that sink in for a second. This complaint is really good. I know it's long, but I would recommend going through it if you have time. Twitter has more than 340 million users worldwide, including approximately 70 million in the U.S. Approximately 500 million tweets are posted on Twitter every day, and they are accessible to non-Twitter users on the internet. Twitter users include large numbers of politicians, journalists, public figures, and others with a disproportionately large impact on public discourse and other forums. So Twitter's impact on a public discourse is even larger than its numbers alone reflect. So they're breaking down social media platforms. They talk about YouTube has more than 4 billion hours of video views every day. 
and how they're visible to both YouTube users and the public. Estimated 500 hours of video content are uploaded to YouTube every minute. So they go on to talk about how all of these social media platforms are being used by, you know, politicians, media, government, journalists, people in general, and how much information really goes and how much you can really sway the narrative and push information out. And if you have the control to push a certain opinion, to hide other opinions, you're able to control the whole narrative, right? Whoever controls the narrative controls the people. It started with the press, then went on to radio, then TV, now social media. People are exposed to so much information every day. And, you know, every social media platform has its own algorithm that will reward behavior based on what they're trying to grow on their platform. Maybe it's a trend. Like, why do you think they have things trending? Maybe they want you to show recipes. So you post a recipe and it gets more traction. So you want to post more recipes. Maybe it's makeup. Maybe it's gaming. Maybe it's fitness. They push the things that they want people to be rewarded for on their platform. That's why when you go on each platform, there's a whole different vibe. And they customize your experience based on things that you like. So if they see you like a lot of dog videos, they'll start showing you more dog videos. Their goal is to keep you on the app, to use you for your time. Even on YouTube, that's why in monetization, you get paid more the more people watch your videos. Not just clicking and clicking out. The longer you watch someone's YouTube video, the more they're going to get paid from what we're told on monetization because they care about how long can you keep people on the app? How long can you keep people engaged? That's why if you've ever gotten paid for YouTube videos, you might have a video that has 10,000 views pay you more than a video with 100,000 views because more people watched the 10,000 view video for a longer period of time. Views don't weigh as much as watch time. At least that's what I've been told um, as my time as a creator on YouTube. They also bring up the Hunter Biden laptop story on page 20, alluding to, you know, the New York Post expose about the contents of the laptop was censored on Twitter and I believe Facebook. And later when it came out, there indeed was a laptop. It seems like no one's been held accountable. You know, the media is very complicit and the social media for that matter in promoting things and whatever they say is true. And then when the public finds out that it was a lie or incorrect, they're never held accountable. How is that fair? You know, when people say defund the media, this is what they're talking about. Organizations are allowed to lie to people to have their own fact checkers, their own misinformation, people, disinformation. And even if you know it's the truth, it doesn't matter. It's whatever they say. If they can convince you of a lie, they can convince you of anything. And most people are willing to go along with a lie just for public acceptance. It's really sad. If everyone says, hey, you know, the sky's purple, and they say you can't be on social media unless you say it, a lot of people will say, all right, it's purple. Who cares? What does it matter? I know it's blue, but I'll just say it's purple. It's wild. So they go on in the complaint to say, in early 2022, over a year and a half later, major news organizations finally admitted that the Hunter Biden laptop story was truthful and rested on reliable sourcing and information. When things like this happen, where people are censored for telling the truth, and then you come out later to see, okay, it really was the truth, you have to pay very close attention. Because people like to apologize or act like it never happened, hoping that you forget about it. But they keep the cycle going. 
Down on page 48, they talk about an email in 2020 where Zuckerberg proposed coordinating with Fauci on COVID-19 messaging to, in quotes, make sure people can get authoritative information from reliable sources and suggested including a video message from Fauci because, in quotes, people trust and want to hear from experts. Zuckerberg proposed including this content in a hub and, in quotes, we're going to put that at the top of Facebook to reach over 200 million Americans, 2.5 billion people worldwide. In the same email, Zuckerberg made a three-line proposal to Fauci. It was redacted by the federal government before the email was produced in a FOIA request, the Freedom of Information Act. A lot of information has surfaced from FOIA in a lot of different sectors the last year. So, it's funny that you can request information and get it, but the government can still redact, blackout, and censor things that they don't want you to see. Why is that? We deserve to know. Down on page 83, number five, defendants reinforce their threats and admit further colluding to censor free speech. On or around April 25th, 2022, two days before DHS announced the creation of its disinformation governance board, it was reported that free speech advocate Elon Musk would acquire Twitter and make it a privately held company. Left-wing commentators widely decried this news on the ground that free speech on Twitter would allow the spread of so-called misinformation and disinformation. Saki was asked at the White House press briefing to respond to the news that Elon Musk would acquire Twitter and asked, does the White House have any concern that this new agreement might have President Trump back on the platform? Saki responded by reiterating the threats of adverse legal consequences to Twitter and other social media platforms, specifically referencing antitrust enforcement and Section 230 repeal with, in quotes, no matter who owns or runs Twitter, the president has long been concerned about the power of large social media platforms and has long argued that tech platforms must be held accountable for the harms they cause. He has been a strong supporter of fundamental reforms to achieve the goal, including reforms to Section 230, enacting antitrust reforms, requiring more transparency and more. He's encouraged that there's bipartisan interest in Congress. 118 pages of examples and things that have happened and quotes and events, people removed, people deplatformed, things that came true. It's, it's very interesting. I would recommend reading it. It looks to me that every time someone tried to do something about social media, it looks as if the White House then goes to make a public statement of, oh, well, you know, we're looking at Section 230, Almost like putting out a little hint of like passive aggressiveness to say, don't even think about it. We're your boss. Listen to us. Like it really makes the government appear as if they're the ones that control all these social media platforms. I actually watched a lot of the Congress hearings on big tech dominance. I think it was in 2020 when I started watching them. And there was so much nefarious things that happened. And Looking back, I'm like, what was ever done about it? You know, people were getting hurt time and time again, but it seems like no one was held accountable. You know, every time they would ask these big tech CEOs of, you know, well, what are you going to do about this or what about this? They just said, oh, I don't know. I don't know. Like, they never had any answers. And it's really concerning. And, you know, when I think about it, you know, we all started kind of getting on social media as far as Facebook, Instagram, YouTube in the 2000s. You know, I would say it really started to blow up around 2013, 2012, and then it kind of skyrocketed from there. And these were all free platforms where people weren't really making money. It was just about having fun and being creative and creating community. And it, it makes me feel like, you know, they got everyone to get on social media, to enjoy it. A lot of people built businesses. They help you run your business like, oh, social media cares about you. And now the game has all changed. I feel like in 2020, everything changed. 
in 2020 started the fact checkers and the labels giving you a, a disclaimer, a modifier to the content. You know, if you even say the word vaccine, it was like you got a COVID-19 disclaimer or something about vaccines. And if you said anything that they don't agree with, you'll get a fact check. People get fact checked for memes. Like if you post a meme that goes against one of their favorite politicians, you'll get fact checked. And it's like, it's literally a meme. And originally memes were ways for the community to get around the algorithm, to get around the censorship. And now they're even fact checking memes. Happened to me once when I just reposted a meme from someone and they're like, oh, this, this has been altered. Well, duh, it's a meme. Like they add something funny on top of it. Like you can tell it's a meme. It's a joke. It's nothing serious. So now that social media has threatened to remove people's businesses and their livelihoods from the platform, if they say anything wrong, it pushes a lot of people into silence. So you get put with bots and, you know, big check voices that are following the narrative, whether willingly or because they're part of it, who knows? You get them being the loudest because their opinions are the ones that are allowed, right? So I feel like since 2020 was the time people started waking up to, you know, there really aren't more people that are following this extreme socialist, communist censorship point of view. There's really not. They're the minority. They're just the ones being allowed to have a platform and openly talk about it. So when people started waking up to that, more people started getting more bold and more people started getting loud. And I think the thing that's happened in America is most people won't say anything until it affects them. You know, we've honestly been comfy for a very long time. And I don't think many of us have dealt with the kind of hardship that the generations before us did and fighting for freedom and, and all of these things in our country. You know, if you look around the world, there are a lot of things we have very good. And a lot of people don't care as long as they can buy their fancy cars, get their cute clothes and, you know, be on social media and learn TikTok dances. It's kind of like this zombie state, right? Where people just don't care. And then once social media tells them, hey, be mad about this, they're mad about it. And then once the media stops talking about it a week later, people are done talking about it. And that's on both sides, right? I'm not just saying on one side or the other, but I do think a lot of people have kind of lost that drive to search for the truth because they're so used to being spoon-fed information. Because once you get used to a platform, you kind of go to it for everything, especially with the internet. I was thinking of like growing up how none of us were really online much. Like we had MySpace, if anyone remembers MySpace. And it was cool. We would get on it once in a while, but like we weren't allowed to be on the computer but a certain amount. Like we had AIM chats and we'd chat with people because it was like faster than text, I guess. And there weren't iPhones. It was just like we started to get more smartphones, but it was more like Blackberries and stuff. And I just remember like we used to actually do stuff. Like we'd have bonfires. We'd go to sports games. Like We'd actually do stuff and be around people and talk and connect, you know, go to the lake, go do fun stuff. And now I feel like everyone's just on their phones. So people's phones and their social media experience really ends up being their whole life. And it really shapes their journey and their really their paradigm of what they think is to be true. And what's sad is that people are so hyper emotional about everything. They're emotionally driven. When scripture tells us time and time again to guard your heart, to not trust your heart, to only trust the Lord and not lean on thine own understanding. God tells us time and time again, trust me and listen to me and let the Holy Spirit give you discernment. Science, true science is the observation of God's creation. He created all things. To look at, you know, 
a beautiful mountain or ocean and think that it just simply exists and that there's no creator is like looking at a house and saying, well, there's no builder. And they've taken science, manipulated and, and used it, especially as we've seen the last couple of years, to fit whatever narrative they want. And as things are coming to the surface and will continue to come to the surface of things that were not true, whether they knew it, planned it or not, things that aren't accurate, I hope people will wake up more and more to that because they want you just to forget and keep trusting them. But what happens to justice? I mean, I know justice is the Lord's and no one will be able to escape justice and be able to escape judgment. It's just the fact of there are still a lot of people that are afraid to get out of their bubble because the truth would burst everything they thought to be true. And it's a very hard process. Like I remember when I started waking up to things that I, the way I thought the world was versus how the world actually is. And it's not an easy process, but like it says in scripture, ye shall know the truth and the truth shall set you free. And the truth is God. The truth is Jesus. And when you start seeing through a spiritual lens, you see everything so clearly. And it no longer feels like this baggage of weight because you're able to see. You do have to put on the full armor of God every day. You need to be in scripture every day. If you follow Jesus, you know the Lord, and you're not reading scripture, then you're not walking in the fullness of the Lord. You have to know his word. You have to get in it every single day. And, you know, I know a lot of people say they're busy. They don't have time. You have to make time. If you have time to scroll on social media, you have time to open your Bible. It's not a chore. There are people around the world who would love the opportunity to get a Bible. There are people around the world in places such as China who have underground churches who can get a few pages of scripture. They memorize it until they're able to get a few other ones. But in America, it seems like so many people just leave their, their Bible in their nightstand or as a coffee table book, gets dust, and they never actually read it. There's so much power in this book, and you need it for the times we are going through. So I'm going to end this episode here. I hope you guys learned something. I hope it was thought-provoking. Um, I'll link anything I mentioned down below so you can check out for yourself. Like I said, everything in this podcast are my own opinions. Um things that I've researched, what I think about things that are going on in our country, but always do research for yourself. Always think for yourself. Never just take someone's word for it. I think it's important to always be digging and searching for the truth yourself because when you start searching for the truth and beyond what people are telling you, you are going to discover more knowledge than you ever knew was even there. Thanks for tuning in to this episode of Liberty Before Lipstick. I hope you enjoyed. Make sure to download, subscribe to this episode, give it a like. If you liked it, share it with a friend, share it with someone who needs to hear this episode. As always, God bless, have a great weekend, and I'll catch you guys next week.